we're going to talk about temptation for the next three weeks. I know that like maybe five of us in here could really relate to that and look forward to it. And the rest of y'all, just sit there and just listen, okay? Because I'm sure you can't relate at all to temptation. Okay, Uh, turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to go ahead and read the text that we will park ourselves at for the next three weeks, okay? Today is somewhat of introductory remarks, so we're not going to go over every single verse in this passage, but I want to lay some groundwork for where we're going to go for the next three weeks. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to start reading at verse 13. If you're sitting there going, well, that doesn't talk about the temptation of Jesus. Well, you need to understand the background in order for you to understand the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Here we go. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him by saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At the moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew 4.1 Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Everybody look up here real quick. Very important. Jesus and us are never, ever tempted by God. Can I say that again? Because this is what Satan would have you believe sometimes. We are never, ever tempted by God. To be tempted is to be enticed towards sin and evil. And the Bible is very clear that in God, there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness at all. But we are, and Jesus joins us in this, and we're going to talk about this, tested, tested by God. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has withstood the test, he will receive the crown of life. The difference between being tempted and being tested is not trivial. Do you hear me? We are never, ever tempted by God to be enticed towards evil, but we will often be tested by God. Why? James chapter 1 verse 15 tells us, or 4 tells us, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Many times, Satan's tempting and God's testing, as it coincided in Jesus, will coincide in us. But they come from two very different sources and result in two very different results. Okay? Uh, We're going to talk more about that, so hold on to that. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You notice sometimes when you read the Bible, you're like, why is that even in there? Of course he's hungry. Verse 3, the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, which was about so two to 300 feet. And he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. Temptation affects us deeply. Because it's irrational. What do I mean? Temptation hurts us deeply, it's rational. Because many of us, let's be honest, many of the things that we do, we do it because we're self-centered and selfish. Would you agree? We're looking out for us. But temptation makes no sense because why are you tempted to do something that hurts me? Temptation is irrational because it also causes us to do things that we don't even believe in. We don't believe that you should be a liar. We teach our children not to lie. We hate liars. And yet, many of us, in things that are very small and trivial in matter, what do we do? We lie. What is that? Temptation also causes us not only to do things that we don't believe in, but also causes us to do things that we don't want to do. Can anybody relate to this? Cause of the things that we don't want to do. I've never met anybody who said that my goal in life is to be an adulterer. One day I want to grow up and commit adultery. And yet there's some of you sitting here this morning from adultery is in your past, maybe even in your present, or you're thinking about it. Addictions. You know what it does to you. You know what it's done to your family. You know what it's done to people all around you. And yet, what do we do? We are tempted to do the very things that we know has destroyed not just us, but people that we love. Temptation hurts us deeply. Part of the reason why temptation is so hard for us to deal with, and I'm going to put up certain sermon points lay the groundwork, is that there's always more at stake than what we think. In temptation, there's always more at stake than what we think. There was more at stake in Jesus when you read this passage than what appears on the surface. What was at stake, listen, was in this passage, if Jesus had succumbed to Satan's offers at any point, Jesus would no longer be sinless. And if Jesus was no longer sinless, he would no longer be the sinless substitute for our sacrifice for our sins. And if Jesus was no longer the sinless sacrifice for our sins, there would be no sinless sacrifice. And if there was no sinless sacrifice, we would be eternally lost. What was at stake in the temptation of Jesus was not just, I'm going to eat turn stones into bread, I'm going to jump and the angels are going to catch me, and I'm going to bow down and all. What was at stake was our very salvation, our eternity. In every temptation, there's way more at stake than what meets the eye. But we don't believe that. We think it's about that. We think it's about her. We think it's about spring break. We think it's about what we did last night. We, we think it's just about that. But there are many, many things at stake. For example, you know what's at stake in temptation? Your future. Your future. Have you thought about that? See, the reason why temptation is so powerful is because Satan blinds us to the consequences of the future. Anybody know really what I'm talking about? We don't see the future and the consequences both temporally and eternally. We don't. You know who does? Parents, parents, 
parents. I never knew why growing up, my parents would say, it's not just about that. They reminded me there are no isolated incidents. That's why we as parents, when we see things in our children, we want to make sure, we want to make sure that they don't do certain things because we know in our heart of hearts, it's not just that, that isolated, but it has ramifications and consequences for the future. Always, always. Not just the future, but there are consequences for our family. It's not just about that. Who does it affect? People that we love, people that are around us. Some of you are sitting here, and this is going to get very close to home. You know why? Because your childhood was ripped apart, not by temptation you faced, but temptation that your mom faced or your dad faced. And you've seen what it does as it destroys the very fabric of your family. Temptation. There's way more at stake than what meets the eye. For some of us, we're sitting here this morning, we're going, I'm a single, and these decisions, you know, it's single. Trust me, decisions you make as a single person will affect you when you're married. What's at stake? Our family. You know what else is at stake? And this is the most powerful of them all. Your faith is at stake in every temptation. Your faith. What do I mean? See, for many of us, we don't think about this. Many of us, when we fall into the temptation, we think it's about just that thing, that her, this and that. But every time you and I fall into temptation and sin, do you know that you are chipping away at your relationship with God? Every time you and I fall into temptation, literally, here's what we're saying. We're saying, no, God, not your way, my way. Every time we give into temptation, we're literally saying to God, not your way, but my way. Why? Most of the temptations we're going to talk about this more next week are ultimately about a need, a hunger, if you will, for something like love, significance, affirmation, validation, sense of worth. And then hunger and a desire for these things in themselves are okay because God put them there. But here's what sin is. Sin is wanting to meet that legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Sin and temptation is wanting to meet that legitimate need for love, affirmation, validation that God put there in an illegitimate way. That's why when we give in to temptation and sin, we're saying, God, not your way, but what? My way. See, ultimately in temptation and sin, you know what we're saying to God? This is powerful. We're saying, we're saying, God, I don't believe that you know about this need that I have. God, I don't believe that you care about this need that I have. And God, furthermore, I don't think you are able to need this need that I have. And so, therefore, I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to take care of it on my own. Can anybody relate to this? In every temptation, what we're saying to God is, God, I don't think that you know. I don't think that you care. I don't think that you're able. And so, therefore, I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. And so, when you get into temptation, it's not just about that, her, last night. It begins to erode, chip away at our trust and our confidence in God. And what happens is, when you stop trusting God, you stop obeying God. When you stop obeying God, you stop believing. I say that again? When you stop trusting God, you stop obeying God. Why would you want to follow someone you don't trust? Why would you want to follow someone you don't trust? 
Do you know why you don't want to obey? You don't trust God. When you don't trust God, you don't obey God. And eventually when you stop obeying God, you stop believing. Give you an example. There's some of you in here today who walked away from church, didn't want to have anything to do with God, and you're coming back. And if I were to ask you, what happened? Many of you, your story is not, you know, I sat there and I realized that philosophically the existence of God doesn't make any sense. Maybe one of you, two of you. I'm not neglecting, doubting that. But you know what many of us happened? Here's what happened. Enormous absorbing need. I got to meet it, but I can't meet it legitimately. So I'm going to meet illegitimately. And the first conviction, ah, uh, I shouldn't do this. But eventually, heart gets hardened. Repentance and sin, repentance and repentance and sin. After all, you're like, I don't even care. And eventually, God, do you, do you even exist? And if I were to ask you why you got to the point where you are, you would say something like, you know, I stopped trusting God for the specifics. I said, God, you don't know. God, you don't care. And God, I don't think you're able. And I stopped trusting God. And then I stopped obeying God in the specifics. Before I knew it, I said, God, this Christianity thing doesn't even make any sense. Temptation is ultimately about your trust. Ultimately, about your confidence in God. Here's a second sort of sermon point, foundation. Temptation is always a test of your faith, not just your self-control. See, many of you guys, temptation, you're going, I need more self-control. I need more self-control. Self-control, not to do that, not to look at that, not to say to that, not to talk to I need more self Self-control is not the issue. You know what the issue is? It's your trust and faith that your heavenly Father knows, your heavenly Father cares and your heavenly father is able think about some temptation you're facing right now some unmet need some unfulfilled desire that you're struggling with you ready you thinking some of us is sexual some of us is financial some of it's relational some of it's physical and here's the question that you need to ask can god meet this need Can God meet this need? Is God big enough? Is God big enough to address my loneliness? Oh. Is God big enough to address my loneliness? Is God big enough to address my need for intimacy? Is God big enough to meet my need for career advancement? Is God big enough and willing to drop in and provide for my family? Is God big enough to provide for my marriage? If you're being tempted, it's because you're saying in your heart of hearts, I don't know if God knows my need. I don't know if God cares about my need. And I don't know if God is able. And I just don't trust God to come through for me. So I'm going to opt to meet my need in my time, in my way, in my choosing. Does this make sense to anybody? Singles? I mean, you're sitting there going, do I do what Scripture tells me about how to meet this need for relationship, companionship, intimacy? Or do I do what the world says? I mean, ladies, you're sitting there today, and you're going... God, do you know how old I am? <laughs> Has anybody ever said that? 
<laughs> Say amen if you have. Amen. Of course you have. And you know, our God is, I mean, he's the kind of God who goes, no, how old, how old, Jesus, how old? God, January 27th, 1969. Oh, that would make her, oh my gosh, she's old. I mean, this is so real and practical. You're sitting there, you guys, and you're going, God, are you big enough, right? You're going, Lord, this might be the last train. This might be the last train leaving the station. And good Lord, it ain't much of a train. <laughs> and I can maybe work on the train a little bit, you know. Ain't much of a train, but good Lord, this might be the last train leaving the station. And what if? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No, I'm serious. So here's the deal. So you're going like this. You're going, God, this might, you're literally saying, God, I don't know if you know my name. I don't know if you care about my name. I don't know if you're able to meet it. And so therefore, some of you are in business. And in your business world, everybody does business the same way. And what the same way means is that nobody makes full disclosure. And you have to bend the rules a little bit. And you're sitting there going, uh, everybody does it. The question is, does God know? Does God care? Do you really believe that God knows about your career and what he has planned for you? Or are you at the point of going, I don't think you know. I don't think you care. I don't think you're able. So therefore, I'm going to do what I need to do. See, what the sermon series will do, I want to make the case that our God knows, our God cares, and our God is able. Our God knows, our God cares, our God is able. And for those of us that come from the perspective that I am just like you in this way, if I don't, then it won't. If I don't, then he won't. If I don't, then she won't. So therefore, I'm gonna. I'm just like you in that. And for us, if that's the perspective of our life and that's how we operate, the challenge for us is to come to realize that our God, Jesus says, he is your heavenly what? Father. He's your heavenly Father. Father, and that means that He knows about your loneliness, about your longing for intimacy, about your desire for success, about your need and a drive to be something in somebody. And He cares about that need, and He is able to meet it. And ultimately, all of the temptations we'll see that Jesus goes through is about faith and trust. That God knows, God cares, and God meets it. The three temptations are going to ultimately deal with everything you and I will struggle with. See, don't be fooled by the whole, well, I'm never going to be tempted to turn stone into bread. I'm never going to be tempted to jump off, well, maybe like two of you guys are going to go, I've been tempted to do that, but not for the phrase. Or... I'm going to be tempted to bow down to Satan worship. But all of these temptations, all of these temptations, at the core of it are things that you and I struggle with. The first was the temptation to meet a legitimate need in a legitimate way. I'm going to talk more about this next week. Second was trying to test God and to use God to accomplish our own ends. And third was, listen to this, was to do the right thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. 
Look at your Bibles again. Let's just go through this. Matthew 3, verse 16. Here we go. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At the moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Verse 4, 1. Then... Hold on to that word. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Can I just just do a little Bible theology here this morning? You ready? The biblical framework is this. Check this out. Israel, people of God, ultimately failed in their wilderness testing as they wandered for 40 years. Jesus, the ultimate Israel, is in the wilderness being tested for 40 days, and he succeeds. Can I go even deeper? The first Adam in the garden was tempted by the devil, and he failed, causing all of humanity to fall into sin. The second and perfect Adam is in the garden cursed by sin, and yet he is tempted by the devil, and he what? Succeeds on our behalf. That's just a little side note. Okay, anyway, so here we go. Then the key word, though, key word. Key word is, notice the word, verse 4, what? Then. Then. Everybody say Then. Then, you know what that literally means? That literally means thus or therefore. And there's an overarching principle here that you need to understand if we're going to talk about temptation. That is this. Spiritual baptism. Then, spiritual battle. Voice from heaven. Then, voice from hell. Water, refreshment. Then, desert. Strength, then weakness, conflict. You know what the principle is? Imagine you being so filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit, totally given to God, absolutely pleasing to God. If you're totally radically sold out for God, how would your life go? See, many of us, when conflict comes, temptation comes, when trials come, when testing comes, our response is, what's going on? What did I do wrong? God, are you with me? What the heck is happening? And yet here, we see the exact opposite. Jesus is filled by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And what's happening? Conflict, strife, testing. Then... Why is this important? Every time there's advancement in the kingdom, there's always going to be a counterattack. See, if you're sitting there going, my life is full of testing. My life is full of trials. My life is full of things. It might be because you're actually taking seriously your relationship with God. And there's nothing wrong with you. Is that encouraging to anybody? See, I'm telling you, for some of us, we know this. How many of you guys have ever been to a retreat? You're a mountaintop. And then by Wednesday, you wind up doing something that you didn't think you were capable of. Anybody? You know why that happens? Anytime you say, I'm going to be pleasing to God, I'm going to go for God, I'm going to take my spiritual life seriously every day, I'm going to get up in the morning, surrender my life to God, and give all that is to Him. The result might not be tranquility and peace. The result is tension, strife, fighting. Let me put it this way. If your life right now is one of total tranquility, total calm, total serenity, it may be that you are now led or filled by the Spirit. And vice versa, 
You're going, good Lord, it's January 8th? It's January 8th, God. It's eight days into 2012. It's so hard. What's happened? You may be someone who's on the front lines of the kingdom and saying, I'm going to go for it, God. And Satan says, ho, 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 ho. I'm going to target you. Then, therefore. So let me ask you, what does your spiritual life look like right now? It may be a measure of whether you are pursuing God about the kingdom or you are. Yes, I'm actually saying that maybe you should question the quietness of it all. Baptism of the Spirit Church and temptation and testing are never separated. Here's another principle, right? I don't think it was up there. Christianity is a battle. Christianity is a fight. Can I just say that again? Christianity is a battle. It's a fight. Are you, are you somebody sitting here, you're not a Christian, you're going, you know, I'm thinking about exploring Christianity. And you're sitting there going, Peter, you're a bad salesman. Because <laughs> if that's what Christianity looks like, then I don't think I want it. If somebody tells you if you're a Christian, life will go well, there will be no more suffering, no more pain, there will be no more turmoil. If somebody tells you when you become a Christian, smooth sailing. If somebody tells you, Christian, your best life now. If somebody tells you if you're a Christian, all of that... If somebody, uh, see, no, 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 see, 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 you know what, I, I just gave into temptation right there. Do you see that? Do you see that? I just gave into temptation right there, right there. I just, Lord, forgive me. I just, I just did that. I just, right in front of you, just gave into temptation to say something inappropriate. If somebody tells you that if you, be, I'm telling you, if you're not, an, if you're not a Christian, Please, I'm glad you're here. Somebody tells you if you become a Christian, conversion will lead to tranquility, peace, everything will go well. They're selling you a lie. Real Christianity is a fight. It's a battle. Do you know why? Because you cannot advance the kingdom of God with people who are in retreat. You've signed up when you became a Christian for a battle. Is this encouraging to people, by the way? I hope it is. I hope Because you're sitting there going, there's nothing wrong with me? Oh, no, no, no. You may be exactly where God wants you. All right, let's go on. Verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God. You guys, whenever you see a word in the Bible, you know what you need to do? You need to ask, why that phrase? Why that word? I mean, that, I want to teach you how to read your Bibles that way this year. Why does Satan refer to Jesus as the Son and not the Messiah, not the Savior, not the Divine One, the Anointed One? Do you know why? Because in verse 17 of chapter 3, what has he just heard? This is my Son in whom I will please. Satan comes and says, if you are the Son, Voice from heaven, voice from hell. What's the voice? You're the son of God? I don't think so. <laughs> I saw what you did last night. <laughs> Daughter of God. <gasps> Daughters of God don't do that. I have tape. You think you're the son of God? Really? Prove it. Do it. Has anybody heard that voice? If you're the son of God, son of God, daughters of God, yeah, right. You're like the worst son of God, daughter of God ever. What? You call yourself a Christian? Are you serious? You do that and you call yourself a Christian? You know what other things you hear right now? 
Christians, are you kidding me? You, you will never overcome that. You think you could overcome that? I don't think so. That has you for life. Hey, isn't that rededicating from another rededication? Aren't you sick of the cycle of sin and repentance? Over and over and over again. You know what? God doesn't hear you anymore. Are you the son? Are you the dog? Where does Satan's temptation come? At the core of Jesus' what? The temptation comes at the core of Jesus' identity. And you know what's incredible about this? This is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. God's saying, this is my boy. I love him. This is Matthew chapter 4 or 3. Jesus, listen very carefully, hasn't done anything. He hasn't performed. He hasn't fed the 5,000. He hasn't uh, uh, healed the sick. He hasn't cast out demons. He hasn't preached. He hasn't done a thing. He hasn't performed, achieved, earned. And yet the voice is what? He is my son in whom I will please. The tempter, before he gets to the nature of Jesus' first temptation, goes directly to Jesus' identity. Here's the print. Your temptations. Begin first and foremost with the tempter owing after your identity. And this is going to give us the insight, you guys, to how temptation will work. Satan will always come, and he's going to go straight to the heart of identity. The question that we need to wrestle with for the next two, three weeks is, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? That's the question from which all temptation flows. And all the temptations, Satan tries to counteract the voice of God. What do I mean? Let me put it very plainly. The only reason why you did that it's because you doubt it that you're better than that. The only reason why you got caught up in the web of that, got entangled in that, is because you do not really believe what Jesus insists you are over and over and over in Scripture. Your primary temptation will come at the core of who are you? And whatever it is that you're tempted to do, we're forgetting. We're forgetting who we are. The tempter begins with, are you the son of God? I don't think so. Our temptations begin without anyone. That's why I want to show you a principle. I want to show you a principle that you cannot read the Bible without knowing this. The Bible over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. God spends thousands of pages, thousands of pages saying, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are. Because if you do not get this, you cannot live the Christian life. That's why when you read the Bible through this lens, all of a sudden you go, I never saw that before. Let me give you an example. Book of Ephesians. Anybody like the book of Ephesians? Chapter 1. I want to just read right through and I want to highlight some things. Chapter 1, verse 3. Listen to, listen, to, listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his son through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with the wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will reach their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and earth together under one head, even Christ. 
in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. And Paul goes on, and we're not going to read all the passages, in chapter 2, verse 5, he says, you have been made alive with Christ. You have been saved. Verse 6, chapter 2, you were raised us up with him, seated us with Christ. Verse 13, we have been brought near. Over and over again, Paul goes after this, and there is not a single command to do something until chapter 4. First three chapters, this ridiculous guy, Paul, over and over again says, this is who you are, this is who you are. There's not a single command to do anything until chapter 4. First chapters 1 to 3, relentlessly, Paul goes out of his day, not if you do the right thing, you will be raised up. He says, you have been raised up. Not if you X, Y, and Z and perform a jump. He says, you will be blessed. He says, you have been blessed. Not if you, you know, act like a good Christian and avoid temptation, then God will raise you up. You have been raised up with Christ. What is he doing? He's saying, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. The first half of the book, not a single command. This is who you are. Why? Because you and I cannot live the Christian life apart from this truth. Let me put it this way up here. I'm going to say it in several ways, slides. Imperatives, apart from indicatives, become impossibilities. Imperatives, what you must do, are impossible unless you recognize this is who you are. Is this clicking for anybody? Here's the second slide. The scriptures never have your identity, who you are, flow out of what you do. No, what you do always inevitably flows out of who, say it with me, church, you are. Anytime Christianity gets to, if you do this, if you do that, then you're in. It's working diametrically opposed to what the scriptures teach. The heart of the gospel is, I am accepted, therefore I obey. One last slide. You cannot make something come into being that already is. You cannot earn something that you already have. Church, you cannot earn the love of God when God spends thousands of pages saying to you, you are loved. Is anybody hearing this? You cannot become something that you already are. If I do this, I'll be a son. If I do that, I'll be a daughter. You are a son. The gospel is not God will love you. Gospel is God loves you. The gospel is not God loves some future version of you. The gospel is God loves you right now as you are today. Is this good news? Why is this so important? 
Because when identity clicks, when you and I realize I am seated with Christ, I am raised up with Christ, I am saved, I am chosen, I am loved, I am valued, I am accepted, it will radically, absolutely change your life. Why? Because, listen, our temptations and our struggles is that we do all of these things thinking that we will somehow earn something that we already have. Is this clicking with anybody? Our temptation, our struggles, it's because we're trying to earn, trying to do. Why are you going from one relationship to another just because you like relationships? No. Could it be that you're wanting to gain, earn, keep something that the Bible insists you already have? Your love. Your love. Business. Peter, I don't know how I turn into this person that lies, that compromises, that bends rules. What the heck happened to me? Could it be that you're yearning to gain, to search, to keep, to accomplish something that the Bible says over and over and over again? You have it. You have it. You have it. You have it. Are you hearing the voice of your heavenly father who comes to you and says, I haven't done anything. I know. You're my son. I haven't done anything. I know. I'm well pleased. But I haven't done anything. I know. It's not about you. It's about the cross. I don't know what all of you being real quiet means, but I hope this is good news to somebody. You know another reason why this is so important? And we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks. By the way, if there's anybody sitting here going, Peter, Satan, Satan, Satan. I don't believe in Satan. Devils, <laughs> devils, what devils? One, they're uh, naive. Um, and, and secondly, next week I'll talk more about this. But for anybody to believe that there's no such thing as supernatural, super intelligent evil being out there, whew, this sermon series is going to be like a whoa to you. So another reason why this is so important is this. Can anybody relate to this? Because I can relate. Satan, you know what he does when he comes? He's going to come and try to define you, not in terms of who you are, but in terms of what you want. You know what I mean by that? Because Satan, the way he works is he's going to try to come and convince you that you're just a sum total of your desires. You're just a sum total of your wants. You're just a sum total of your struggles. So if you struggle with drinking, Satan comes and says, you're just a drunk. But that's not who I am. Ah! Doesn't matter. You're just struggling with addiction. Satan comes and says, right. You're just a addict. Struggling with uh, alcohol. Struggling with maybe anorexia. Food. Satan comes and says, you're just a anorexic. Is anybody know what I'm talking about? He's going to come and say, this is not who you are. You know what you are? You are some total of what you struggle with. So therefore, you're just a liar. You're just a sinner. You're just a bad wife. You're just a bad husband. You're just a bad Christian. And what does God do? God comes and says, you are not who he says you are. You are not who you desire and want. You are who God says you are. 
If you're hearing to the voice of Satan, by the way, this is how Satan works. Satan comes and he tempts you. He's a tempter. He's a liar. He says, doesn't that look so good? Doesn't that look so good? Come on. You know you want it. Come on. You know it. We're suddenly going, I'm really hungry. By the way, when you're really hungry, everything on the menu looks good. I'm really hungry because if I was full, I'd be looking at them going, oh my gosh, I want to, ah. But right now, it looks really, really good. And Satan's like, come on, come on. Don't you want it? Don't you want it? It won't be so bad. Come on. Nobody knows. Nobody sees. And you do it. You know what happens? The moment that you fall in temptation, check this out. Satan switches hats, and the Bible says he's the accuser, and he says, you're worthless, piece of. <laughs> That's all you are. Wait, wait, but you're the guy that said it was, I know, but you. And some of you right now are living under so much guilt and condemnation. Do you know why? You have totally forgotten who God says you are. And you are sitting here this morning going, I'm a sum total of my service. That's me. Where do you find yourself in Jesus' temptation church this morning? Where is the tempter tempting you? Listen very carefully to question your identity. Am I talking to somebody here who's fallen, who's made a mistake, who's screwed up? And the tempter is saying to you right now, you're a daughter of God, but I know you. I've seen you. You're a son of God, but I know what you did last night. You're a child of God. Hello, spring break last year. Uh-huh, remember, 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 remember? Yep, 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 yep. A daughter, son of God. Yeah, yeah, but remember that one-night stand. By the way, can I just say something? There's no such thing as just a one-night stand. Ten years from now, that one-night stand will flash back into your memory, and Satan will go, you're a Christian? Where is Satan coming to you to question your identity? Where is he coming to you saying, you're not that? Where do you need to hear the voice of God who says, yes, you are. You are a child, a daughter, a son. And I want to say this one last time, and then we'll go on. But God, I haven't done anything. I know. Not the point. But I haven't been good. I know. Not the point. But I'm still struggling with. I know. Not the point. Son. Daughter. Whom I love. Come on, please. Real quick before I go out. And share some practical things that we're going to pick up more next week. Some of you right now are struggling because you're suffering. And what happens when you're suffering and you're in trouble? <sighs> this is so big. If Satan comes and says, wait, you're a son of God? You shouldn't be struggling. Are you sure? What do I mean? Jesus, we'll talk more about this next week. He's hungry. Hunger is a form of suffering. And so Satan essentially comes to Jesus and says, God can't be your father, because if he was your father, he would take care of this. He wouldn't leave you hungry. God wouldn't do that to you. I don't know if you're really the son of God. If you're the son of God, why would God, why? and some of you are sitting there going, that's true. That's true. I'm hungry. I'm in need. My needs aren't being met. I'm struggling. I'm suffering. If God really, if I'm his son, if I'm his daughter, what is, here's why you need to remember this. If you listen to the voice of Satan and you go, you're suffering, you can't be God's child, what you're going to do is one of two things. You're going to go, God, you're right. Or Satan, you're right. You know what? I've been good. I've been a good church person. I've been moral. I come to church. I serve. And you know what? Why am I still hungry? Why am I still lonely? Why am I still single? 
I've been good. This isn't fair. Where are you? Where are you? And they'll be mad at God or, or, or religion. You're going to go to, I haven't been a good person. Oh, God's punishing me. I'm not doing all that I'm supposed to do. I'm missing something. God, are my motives not pure? What am I not doing right, God? You're going to be mad at yourself. This is why you need to hear the voice of God reminding of your identity in Christ. Because when you remember that, here's what you see. You go to the cross and you go, here's someone who was well-pleasing and perfect to the Father in every way. And yet, he was led by the Spirit to be tempted and to be tested by God. And you realize, when I'm going through similar things, not only does Jesus walk with me, but this isn't punishment. I'm not being punished. Jesus Christ took my punishment And Jesus being tempted and tested was somehow so that salvation would progress in him and salvation would progress through him to touch the rest of the world. And so what I'm going through right now, God, do you know? Do you care? Are you there right now, God? I'm so mad. I'm so hungry. Why am I in this situation? For you to remember the Son of God, first Adam, true Israel, tempted and tested by his heavenly Father so that salvation will progress in him and salvation will progress through him. And if he went through that, that means God is doing one or the other in me. And I'm not going to listen to the liar and the murderer who would have me believe God doesn't love you. You're not a child. If he did, why would you be in this situation? Practically, we're going to pick up on these real quick, five things, and then we're done. One, I'm going to come, over, I'm going to, come to these again and again for the next two weeks. If you're somebody struggling with temptation, ask for help. Nothing makes temptation more powerful than isolation. If you're struggling with something, the struggle right now for you is it's in secrecy and nobody knows. And Satan goes, that's how we like it. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. This is why last Sunday was so powerful. When people got up here and shared, you should have been here if you weren't. Because when people got up here and shared, you know what happened? For some, the shackles and the bondage of living in secrets and isolation became... And you could just literally see, not only that person, but the congregation going, ho, 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 ho. Ask for help. Are you sitting there this morning going, Peter, nobody knows. Satan is saying to you, and let's keep it that way. You need to be able to say, I need that support. Talk more about this next week. Second, ask, where will this lead? Oh, guys, guys, guys. Temptation works because you and I are blinded to what it does to our future. And we put the consequences out of our minds, both temporally and eternally. I want to remind you, I'm going to continue to remind you, it's not just about that. It's not just about her. It's not just about him. It's not just about the situation. It's about your future. It's about your family. And it's about your faith. Third, monitor your soul satisfaction. Some of you sitting here this morning and there's no joy. You're hungry. You're starving. No soul satisfaction. And when that's the case, Good Lord. This reminds me of going to Chicago restaurants. Only in Chicago, guys. I've had people from out of town sit down and go, wow, this is a big menu. I know. They serve Chinese, Japanese, Thai, American, and Greek. Isn't that amazing? Only in Chicago. You're starving. They're going, oh, my goodness. I'm going to order like five of these. 
Why? When you're hungry, everything on the menu looks good. When you're starving, when you're starving, you're going to opt to do that thing that if your soul was satisfied, you go, oh. Idiot lights on your car. Don't ignore it. Hey, dummy, you need fuel. Hey, dummy, you need fuel. If you're like me, you're going, I know, but I know where that needle goes. And it goes like a couple little bit more, even though the lights. Are good. Some, of you, some of you sitting here going, Peter, that light's been on for like eight months. Why are you ignoring it? Why are you ignoring it? Why are you ignoring it? I'll tell you why. Because Satan goes, that's not going to fill you. This is. Oh, you worthless piece of crap. I'm being blunt, but anybody hear voices? This is the voice that I'm hearing. Actually, this is like the PG-rated version. If I told you the R-rated version, you'd be like, oh, are we in church? You all know what I'm talking about, right? By the way, isn't this so great? There's nothing that levels any arrogance and pride than talking about temptation. It's like all of us in here this morning going, we're all in the same boat? Yes. Here's the fourth one. Ready? Don't stay down. Don't stay down. Don't stay down. Don't stay down. You know what Satan is? You know what Satan is? He comes with big fangs and big claws going, ah! In reality... He is this tiny little scary thing that's been defeated on the cross. I want to ask you to get in the habit. I do this. When some comes, I go, you're a liar. You're a murderer and you're an accuser. Get the heck away from me. Why are you letting someone who's already been defeated have so much enormous power and influence over you? When he goes, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. You need to go, I know what you are. And we'll talk more about that in two weeks. Lastly, go to the gospel. Oh, you guys, can I just? No, I'm just, just thinking about this truth. Daddy, as you can come on up. Just thinking about this truth, this was like, oh, well, do you realize that the Bible says that Jesus Christ we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are. Yeah, without sin. Think about that. Think about that. Think about that. Tempted in every way. I know you're sitting there going, I know, but did he really struggle with answer? Yes. But did he really struggle with answer? Yes. But they didn't have computers back then. Yes, they did. Um, You guys know what I mean, though, right? Whatever it is that you struggle in your computer, you think people didn't struggle with the root motive? Jesus was tempted in every way, but check this out. He was without sin. And we've been talking about this all fall. Where does Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit live? He lives in me. He lives here. So I have, the Bible says, <laughs> not just identity. Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, who is tempted in every way without sin, living inside of me. This is the reason why, oh, let's fall. We talked about this. See, I know maybe like, you're not like me. See, I tend to struggle with the same things. I know you don't. 
I know you've got like different temptations every other day. Me, same things. So I know where it's coming from. I know where it comes. I know, I know where it comes. I know the voice. I know the time. I know, I know where it comes. And so here's the deal. What if the way we're supposed to live the Christian life was when that temptation comes, we pause and said, God, I can't do this. You know I don't have the willpower to do this. And God, I pause. And so here's what I do. God, I breathe in. <gasps> I can't. I can't. I can't overcome it. I can't overcome it. But you breathe out. <sighs> but you can. See, God, you overcame that addiction. You overcame that temptation. You overcame. You overcame all those things. And you live inside of me to live the Christian life. And so I pause, God, and I say, God, I can't, but you can. And so in this moment of need, God, I don't opt for my choice, my needs. I'm going to meet it the way I want to. But I opt for surrender. I opt for dependence. I opt for first thing I do when you get out of bed in the morning. Either you roll out of bed or you stay in bed and you just say, God, you know what's coming. I know what's coming. And I declare my dependence on you. I don't have what it takes. So, God, I breathe in. I can't. Oh, and I breathe out. But you can. And I willingly submit next hour, next six hours this day to you. Help. Heavenly Father, we uh, come to you this morning. In some ways, Lord, nothing brings us together as a community <laughs> and talking about temptation. Nothing is more, in some ways, devastating and, 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 and just entangling God than dealing with the temptations and sin in our lives. And God, I know that for some of us in here this morning, boy, things were just ruffled up deep within us and just, oh, God, it, some of us, it seems like a scab was just torn off because of where we were, where we've been. And it's just a fresh reminder, God, of how real the spiritual battle is, just how powerful this spiritual battle is, God. And we are feeling very raw, some of us very vulnerable, and some of us very, very helpless. So the only thing we can do, God, is surrender and declare our dependence because this Christian life was not meant to be lived on our strength on our conviction alone on our strength on our discipline on our willpower and on our goodness and on our self-righteous effort this Christian life is God I can't 
but you can. And church, this morning, you know, I, I just want to pray for some of you. I just really pray for myself, but it's going to take a little bit of courage. I'm not going to ask you to come up front. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand. But here's what I'm going to do. I, I'm going to ask you to stand if this morning you have a hard time and you have had a hard time hearing the voice of your heavenly father who is saying, you're my son, you're my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. This is who you are. I'm going to ask you to stand right from your seat because I want to pray for you as I pray for me as we go on this journey for the next three weeks because check this out the Holy Spirit is the only person who can bring this powerful reminder and make it a reality in our hearts you guys so it is asking the Holy Spirit this morning saying Holy Spirit, I need you to make this a reality in my life. I need this to become crystal clear in my life. Please stand from where you are, please. I'm going to give you just a few more seconds. If, if you need this this morning as you go on this journey, just stand up from where you are. Listen to the voice of God this morning saying, stand, stand, stand. Spirit of the living God. Go with us as we go on this journey for the next three weeks. Be our teacher of truth, revealer of truth. Spirit of the living God, will you open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts as you speak truth to us, God, in this passage. Help us to know the tactics of the enemy and the tools and weapons you've given us to combat him in this war. Help us to be sensitive to the Spirit's leading God as we pursue hard after you. The Spirit of God goes with you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen.